Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The Gist is brought to you by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer and save up to 80% compared to a postage meter. Sign up for Stamps.com and get a four-week trial and a $110 bonus offer when you use the promo code THEGIST. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, December 7th, 2015 from Slate. It's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. I love that Donald Trump. He is a very, very useful person to think about. I kind of wish there were an alternate reality where all the people who vote for Trump can actually live out what their lives would be like under a Trump presidency. It'd be awesome. Of course, if their reality were our reality, we would have to all rely on virtual reality to escape the hellscape that would have become the United States of Trump-Sylvania. But I do think there are some really, really good things about Trump. His support demonstrates the underbelly of America. Wait, you say he has 30-something percent support. Is that really an underbelly? Isn't it a more significant portion of the body politic? No, it's an underbelly. But like the actual belly of the United States, it is a significant under. There's a lot of under to that belly. The thing that I think Trump does is he argues for one bit of media reform. I do believe this. He's gaff proof. The bloody wherevers, the I like people who weren't captured, the I would go after their wives, let's keep all Muslims out of the country, let's build a wall. And now the latest, total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States. It's not going to hurt him. He's not going to be tripped up by a single gaffe. And that's how much of the news media is constructed. We have a gaffe Geiger counter. That's all we do is we subject candidates to gaffes. If they gaffe, they lose. If they don't gaffe a lot, they win. It creates both candidates who are afraid to say anything interesting and pretty stupid coverage, right? Why did every presidential candidate of the last 20 years lose? Well, there was that gaffe, right? George W. Bush looked at his watch and said, read my lips and didn't understand was non plussed by supermarket scanners, or Dukakis wore a funny tank helmet, or Kerry windsurfed. Gaff, 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 gaff. And Romney, oh man, I find that example most frustrating of all. I mean, be against him because he had policies, like he was pro-austerity. That would be bad for getting the United States out of the recession. But the gaffes, he said self-deportation. He said binders full of women. I can't even blame the media on the binders full of women thing. That just took off on Twitter during a debate. I mean, here's an organized guy who was in large corporations all his life. He wanted to hire women. Let's keep a list of them. Oh my God, he put it in a binder. That's a gaffe. Keep him out of the presidency. So anyway, this is a good thing about Donald Trump. I think once we get past Trump and we get past his candidacy, and don't worry, we will, maybe we'll go back and say, being the gaffe police is maybe not the greatest use of our time. I don't know. Trump definitely appeals to the stupid side of America. But if he stands athwart this one bit of stupidity and bombs the shit out of it, I will thank Donald Trump. On the show today, I spiel about bad ways to think about ISIS. And now good, good ways to beat a werewolf. Bullets? Nah. Stake through the heart? Nah. Well, actually, maybe. But the important thing is you got to get a neon-clad feller with an indeterminate accent. 
With the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office because of parking, because of traffic, because of everything that goes on at the post office, except when you're right there and you get your stamps and you're like, hey, you got the Spider-Man and they got the Spider-Man, but you could also get the Spider-Man at a routine or forget the Spider-Man, just get your stamps with stamps.com. With stamps.com, you could avoid all the hassle of going to the post office during the busy holiday season. Everything you could do at the post office, you could do right from your desk, buy and print official U.S. postage using your own computer and printer, print postage for any letter or package the instant you need it, and then the mailman picks it up. Hey, mailman, did you see Spider-Man? No, not really. I don't like Spider-Man. Also, we're postal carriers. Fine. Whew, that was a little awkward. But it's very easy and convenient to use Stamps.com. You just leave the thing for your postman. You don't even have to talk about it. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use the promo code THEGIST for a special offer. Four-week trial, $110 bonus offer. It includes postage and a digital scale. So don't wait. Go to Stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's Stamps.com. Enter the gist. You all know John Glazer. No, we don't. Okay, I assume you did. <laughs> Fans will recognize John from his Adult Swim series, Delocated, as well as Trainwreck, and he played Lena Dunham's neighbor, Laird on Girls, and, and he was Amy Poehler's nemesis, the councilman, Jeremy Jam, on Parks and Rec. So you know his work. No, we don't. Okay, it's fine. We're moving on, because his new show, he plays Neon Joe Werewolf Hunter, and I just ripped off that joke from it. It's, uh, it's a crazy show, John, and I hope you take it as a, a compliment when I say, after watching the first two episodes... This is fucking idiotic. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> I take that as a high compliment. Thank you very much. There were there were huge elements of <laughs> uh, of idiocy, of genre, of characters, and so you cast it with a lot of your great comedy friends. So there's my first question: How much was you and whoever your writing staff was inventing all the characters, and how much was the actors fleshing out the characters, or did this weird collection of people from this town in Vermont mostly spring from your brain? It's probably a little of both. You know, we certainly wrote all the characters, I think, for the most part, as you see them. And then the actors, I mean, always are going to bring something, you know, maybe their take or what if we try this? Like the first thing that pops to mind is, you know, Scott adds it was just kind of told you're the guy. You know, this is a lot of backstory, but a lot of it when I was writing it. And there's two guys I write with, John Lee and Vernon Chapman. And when we were writing it and when I was writing the pilot, which was more solo at the time, there was a lot of Jaws, because that really, you know, this whole idea for the show came from a joke that I made. There was not an idea that I like had. Like a tossed off joke on Fallon. Correct. You show up in a weird costume. Yes. And, and it was a pre-planned joke. It wasn't spontaneous, but it was an arbitrary pairing of clothing. I was about to say clothes, and then I drew out clothing, and it became clothing. Clothesing. Clothesing. <laughs> but it was two pair of cl uh, clothes that I own and wear for separate comedy bits live at live shows one was the neon hoodie and hat the other course the course light pants the course light and so it was just a random joke an ar arbitrary joke based on that outfit which became neon joe werewolf hunter and the course light silver bullet old stupid joke but because it was course light pants it that's was the, the silver, silver bullet. bullet he hunted werewolves right. i'm if pretty sure were... i said hunted werewolves. right if you were wearing Labats, it could be, you know, Moose Hugger. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Or the new iteration of Coors Light, it could be Freaky Train that would probably kill people, but also throw a party. 
What's Freaky Train? Is that a product or is that a No, those, those commercials where the Coors Light oh, train Coors comes Light on, train. comes through town. The Freaky Train. Yeah, a giant ghost train that makes everything cold but yet fun at the same time. Right, but the yeah. train's called the Silver Bullet, right? Oh, the, the, it is the Silver Bullet. I think Bullet. it is the Silver Bullet. But yeah. anyway, that was Some, the dumb... Somewhere Bob Seger's not getting royalties, that's all I know. Yeah, bullshit. <laughs> that is bullshit. Can't rip off the Sieg, man. <laughs> I'm from Detroit. I take that personally. He had, a, he, had a, he had a saxophonist named Alto Reed. Talk about and predestination. You know, I have a photo that I can show you when we're done, because you can't show a photo on a podcast, of that saxophone player from the 70s that someone sent me and said, yeah. hey, I didn't know you played sax for Bob's. <laughs> it really looks like me. It's weird. All right, this is Mike from the future, and Glazer gave us a picture, and it really does look like Alto Reed. We put it up on Facebook.com slash Slate Gist. All right. Back to Neon Joe Werewolf Hunter, talking about how the show took form. Sort of started to become what it was, taking place in this small New England town where this creature is wreaking havoc on their industry, which is B&Bs. Just B&B seemed like a dumb, fun <laughs> setting for the town and for characters. Uh, one of the characters, uh, played by this actress Jen Regan, is kind of like Kate Pearson from the B-52s, who actually owns a a B&B. Really? For real. Wow. And she became like this kind of quirky weirdo. Not that Kate Pearson is a quirky weirdo, but just aesthetically had... And everything sort of went from there. Yeah, and Stephanie March plays the mayor, and we... I wanted to cast somebody in her vein, someone who has a dramatic acting background uh, that can play the drama of it. I know we are all upset about what happened last night to Paul Rudd. I'm upset. I saw him in Ant-Man, and he was terrific. But as far as I am concerned, this was a random event. Some crazed fan probably followed Paul in from the city and killed him. Maybe it will become a tourist attraction. Stay at the B&B where Paul Rudd was murdered? I'd stay there. We play it very seriously. There's no hokey effects, and it's not like a low-budget mm -hmm. horror show. So all There the... are some hokey effects. I mean, sure. You can't just... <laughs> we're, we're, we are still basic cable at midnight. I believe you look at a DNA sample of a werewolf uh, hair, and it looks like one of the worms from Dune. Sure. That might be hokey. That one, you know, yeah. That one's... It is, it is what it is. I would like to announce a lead in the werewolf case. I have just come from the scene of the hacky sack killing, where I found many werewolf pews. Werewolf pews. There are a couple of jokes. I don't know your entire oeuvre, but I know you do the forget a buddies with John Benjamin. Mm -hmm. And there's a Faslice. What's the name of the pizza place? Faslice about it. <laughs> Is this yeah. a nod to the forget a buddies? I, it's not, but I guess, you know, certain comedy fans. But that's always kind of fun when you read comments. And even when I was at Conan, there'd be all these really hilarious, like crazy theories. They probably did this to make a commentary on the network's decision. to, And it's like, no, it was just a dumb idea we had in the room and it seemed funny. There's just something funny about forget about it as a, as a meme and a trope. You know where that actually came from was there was a joke for the delocated series finale. We were trying to, you know, we wanted to have it set up. If you didn't see that show, it's, uh, it takes place in New York City. And there's, it's like a born identity kind of a thing where my character appears on the shores. He doesn't know where he is. And then we reveal it's New York City. And you see the Statue of Liberty. And at first, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to even shoot 
with the Statue of Liberty in the background based on location and schedule and different things. And we thought, how can we convey New York City right away? And one of the th- stupid things, me and John Lee, one of the writers and who directed the pilot or the, the that episode, we just thought, let's have two guys like who look like they're in the Ramones <laughs> walking down the street. Like I'm like, my character's looking around trying to figure out where he is. And then he sees these two guys who look like they're in the Ramones, both holding slices, shrugging the shoulders like, forget about it, guys. And that was our idea of, oh, it's New New York, just it's, dudes doing shrugging, going like this. Hey, what are you gonna? <laughs> it's cheaper than getting the Statue of Liberty shot. I still wish we would have done it. You're you're very funny in this show. You're very funny in your last uh, show for Adult Swim. But it's the one-off, you know, eight minutes of his f- four minutes of a sketch character here and there. And the through line for most of these guys you play is this let's say, forefronting your confidence. You play a lot of guys who are really sure of themselves. <laughs> My name is Neon Joe, werewolf hunter. And I'm here because when someone get killed by a werewolf, I get a call. And I got a call late last night because somebody think the actor Paul Rudd was killed by a werewolf. And I was just listening to an interview on Brian Koppelman's The Moment with Judah Friedlander. And here's a guy who does that too. That's his comic persona. And man, is he insecure in real life. And then I know a lot of guys who's com- or comedians where the comic persona is insecurity. I don't think Louis C.K., where there's a lot of insecurity, actually is that. Well, whatever. But personal interactions, like, well, here's a guy who knows what he's doing and knows what he's saying. So I'm wondering, when you, you as a person who make fun of these people who are super confident, is that because you question your own confidence? Is that because you notice this trait in others and think they're assholes? Like, why do you draw a lot of comedy from that? <laughs> I don't know. I guess I, it just seems like I don't even know if it's as deep as that for me, at least. Uh-huh. And maybe it is, and I'm not aware of it. I just think it's funny. It's fun to play a confident asshole. That was something I remember when I first started working at Conan that we realized we both like just that kind of confident dick. Someone that's just so sure of himself and just so wrong, but just unwavering in his confidence to just say whatever, whether it's just super wrong or obnoxious or not. It's just enjoyable. You get to just say fun things that you'd never, ever even think to say in real life. And sometimes even like playing Jeremy Jam on Parks and Rec, every now and then it felt like this is just no one would ever say that. And then you would hear someone say something like that and you realize there's just massive dicks out in the world. It's crazy. It's really depressing, but it is fun to play those guys. In your regular non-comedy life, where are you on the continuum between insecure and pretty confident uh i don't know i guess maybe right down the middle Mm -hmm. i don't know if i'm ever that i don't know i hope i'm not a confident dick (laughs) well you know you can just be a confident guy who deserves you can be a confident guy it depends i'm sure it depends on the situation there's plenty of times where i do not feel confident i can't think of a good example that's not going to just embarrass myself but nothing made whatever I, i guess right i'll say right down the middle neon joe werewolf hunter Premiering at midnight on yes, Adult Swim? Correct. Which I think for most Adult Swim watchers, we got to say, wake up by midnight, turn on Adult Swim. It's for a whole week, all five episodes, starting on December 7th. 7th. Uh, and then it runs on consecutive nights as a miniseries. And then I think after, it'll run once a week on repeats. So if you miss anything during that week next week, you can catch up the following week and then weekly from there. If you miss any of the multi-layered subtlety of Neon Joe, <laughs> yeah. Werewolf Hunter. Thank you, John Glazer. Thank you. 
And now the spiel, the psychology of fighting ISIS. President Obama addressed the nation on Sunday in his clearest, strongest words yet and gave us no new details in the fight against ISIS. Yeah, that's right. Clear, strong, not new. Because the policies, the actions haven't changed. But the words have, which was exactly the president's aim. Because a vital part of the fight against ISIS is psychology. And that's what I want to focus on today. Obama last night tried to buck up the nation psychologically. One of his critics might say he attempted to assert a stronger image for his own agenda. Fine. Because even if his past words have been misinterpreted or distorted, too many of his ideas are just not getting through. And some of that's his own fault. He had, in the days after Paris and San Bernardino, often employed qualifiers and conditionals. And that's not what America wanted to hear. America wants to hear is clearly keening to the message of Donald Trump. That message, like Trump's credentials themselves, are unqualified. But by talking without qualification, even though Trump doesn't really say much, his words have thrust. He avoids conjunctions, doesn't say but, however, it doesn't say of course. We should go after the wives. Wait, what? How? What are you talking about? We should go after the wives. At least I would certainly go after the wives who absolutely knew what was happening. Of the 19 hijackers, there's evidence only two were married. Neither had his wife in America. It doesn't matter. The words are strong. But, you know, even when Obama was being strong, he was still being weak, weak defined as putting limits on the fight. Let me now say a word about what we should not do. We should not be drawn once more into a long and costly ground war in Iraq or Syria. That's what groups like ISIL want. This gets me to the second aspect of psychology, talking about what ISIS wants. Obama said it twice. We just heard it one time. Here's the second time. We cannot turn against one another by letting this fight be defined as a war between America and Islam. That, too, is what groups like ISIL want. New York Mayor Bill de Blasio has said it. It's the ISIS game plan. And what Trump is saying is falling right into that game plan. What ISIS wants is what they say they want. They want a caliphate as ruled by the precepts of Islamic law in the 7th century. To get it, they'd be quite happy for us all to convert. They don't necessarily want a war. And if they get a war, they don't want to lose the war. Like every fighting force, they want only a war that they win. So to say we shouldn't start a war because that's what ISIS wants is pretty misleading. It's also totally unuseful, and it shouldn't dictate our policy choices. We should maybe choose not to have a war for reasons other than what ISIS wants or ISIS doesn't want. So why do we say it? Well, Max Abrams, past guest of the gist, is a political science professor at Northeastern, and he put forth this idea. It talks about a psychological concept called correspondent inference theory. I'll explain it in a nutshell. We as humans seek explanation for the actions of others. And when we see another person act, it's a free action, they're not being coerced, and that action seems senseless, like killing 14 people in San Bernardino, we say to ourselves to explain it, well, the stuff that happened in its wake must be what the actors wanted. So after an attack, if there's a lot of talk of war, it's easy for some people to say, well, that must be what they want. Just like in Paris, they're all telling each other, we can't be afraid, because obviously they are afraid. And once they are afraid, people, as explained by correspondent inference theory, say, well, that must be what ISIS wants. The point is, they may want it, they may not want it. 
But the reason we convince ourselves has roots in the psychological as well as the actual. Another bit of psychology in the latest rounds of ISIS discussion can be heard here. It marks a dangerous evolution in the U.S. terror threat. The FBI director has been warning for months about ISIS's unprecedented social media campaign, urging potentially thousands of followers here in the U.S. to attack. It's as if a devil sits on someone's shoulder all day long saying, kill, kill, kill. All right, this might be evolution, but the evidence of it was here for a while. Psychologically, though, we only attend to evidence of successful attacks. We discount foiled attacks. We don't really pay attention to simply less deadly attacks. Eight months ago, an ISIS-inspired duo drove from Phoenix to Texas, shot up a Draw Mohammed conference, shot a cop. They were killed in the process. It made news, but it didn't shock us to our core. It barely registered in the mass imagination. Same thing with that train attack in Belgium. We all paid attention when three Americans tackled a would-be killer, but the story didn't register as, wow, ISIS has evolved. It registered as brave Americans. The Americans were true, but there's evidence that the people who planned that attack were the same people who planned and the Paris attacks. Let's talk about October 2014. In Canada, guy attacks parliament, kills a cop. He's killed in the process. Afterwards, it comes out that that guy made a video just like the woman in the San Bernardino killings. She and he both lay out their quote-unquote religious motivations. By the way, two days before that attack in Ottawa, elsewhere in Canada, a man who is an adherent of ISIS drives his car into two members of the Canadian military, inspired, he says, by ISIS. Of course, this all comes from the hermit kingdom of Canada. How would that ever pierce our consciousness in America? But this is not a new evolution. There's no new evidence of evolution. We knew this for a while. The president, by the way, acknowledges this, but he does it subtly. Listen to how carefully he describes it last night. Over the last few years, however, the terrorist threat has evolved into a new phase. Over the last few years. So to casual viewers, this would seem like, okay, the president finally gets it. Well, that's what Obama hopes they come away with. But he, security experts, You know what? Frankly, even his biggest critics making the most noise, they know that San Bernardino doesn't represent the first evidence of evolution, just the most noticeable. The elephant has a common ancestor with the mastodon. We notice that. Less noticeably, other species, finches, plants, have been evolving all along. But psychologically, it's important to note with emphasis what is going on now, to speak in strong terms, even if you think, well, I've really said this in one way or another before to not allow the perception of weakness to fester, even if you think that perception is unfair. Psychology is an important front in this war, and the perception of weakness can undo real gains or forestall future victories. That is why it's something of the elephant in the room. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Andrea Salenzi is also known as the Cerulean Lillian Kraken Disabler. Just executive producer Andy Bowers, you might know him as Puce Bruce, Mummy Befuddler. The Gist, we also go by Forest Green Arlene, the Wombat Killing Machine. Oh no, wait, what? What? Wombats aren't mythological beasts. They're just muscular, quadrupedal marsupials native to Australia. Yeah, we're sorry. We're killing them anyway. And now... And now we bring you They Might Be Giants every Monday. The gist debuts a They Might Be Giants song as part of their Dial-A-Song project. To call Dial-A-Song during the week, it's 844-387-6962. Or just listen right here, right now to They Might Be Giants with I'll Be Haunting You. 
Flipping this one final switch, I'm effectively ensuring that I will be Overcoming all resistance long after my remains have been Vaporized with extreme prejudice and shock